You're so professional. I, I try. I, I try very hard. All right. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of the Sad Boys Book Club. I am your host, the Champion of Light. And I'm Dusty. The Herald of Darkness. And we are on episode number two of Caliban's War. Yes. Uh, Daniel, how are you feeling about Caliban's War so far? You know, I, I, I'm liking it. I think I like that first bit a little bit more because I, I don't know. I just like it. This is a conceit that you see a lot in writing. Um, it's, it's especially in the last uh, probably 20 years, it's become a kind of fashionable writing advice to really, uh, especially in genre fiction like this, to kind of uh, front load your book with some like, with like, like, good juicy part to really because and and it makes a certain amount of sense um when somebody is reading the book they you know if it doesn't grab them they're very like to put it down um or not buy the book you know so you 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 want you're the first chunk of the book to be really to to really grab people that's not to say this part is bad um it's just it's just for whatever reason just not hooking me uh like that first part did, but it does end in a very, very interesting place. Yeah, it's the um, uh, it's the momentum wave, so to say. Um, you've got uh, you know, you got to start strong, and then you gotta because uh, you know a roller coaster has ups and downs. If a roller coaster mm-hmm. was just you know, just peaks, then it'd be boring. So you have to have that give and take, and I think that this book's done exactly. a great job with its pacing so far. To give us a really nice bombastic start, to really set the tone, set the pace of the book, and now this second, this uh, second quarter of the books um, has been a bit of a slowdown to just kind of, I guess, give us a little bit of a breath before we jump into what will probably be uh, what leads to the climax of the book. So, yeah, it's I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, and I, I don't think that's what you were going for with it, but um, yeah, it's you know definitely a slower section of the book outside of the very end of what we're covering but i'm fine with it a lot of uh a lot of really great character writing once again i can't complain about Mm -hmm. that that's what i live for yeah there's and there's some interesting developments that i'm sure we'll get into um regarding the uh holden naomi relationship um you know a little more some developments with amos you know who, who I, I, I'm starting to appreciate, like, the, uh, you know how, how you were saying, I think the, it was last one last time around, uh, where you mentioned that, that Amos had become kind of a fan favorite of sorts uh, among both uh, the, the book readers and show watchers and people who are both. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a character that's definitely grown on me uh, the most. Um, and also... Uh, I guess we finally have some uh, some Alex uh, moments, you know. Other than being like, "Hi, I'm Alex." Yeah, at the very beginning, I'm the pilot. I fly, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Hey, y'all! I'm just a little pilot from Mars. That's that's basically that's that's basically his characterization heretofore. 
I, I, I feel like, with the exception of Holden and Praxis storyline, I feel like I can kind of sum up this, this quarter in only kind of a, a couple of seconds. I guess, really, I should say, I feel like I could really sum up Avasarala and Bobby's storyline in just a couple of sentences. Because mm-hmm. it is... It's a lot of politicking. Yeah, like there, there's a lot more of just them kind of reacting to the situation than them like being proactive towards the situation, and it's kind of. I, I think that's gonna be kind of starting to turn a corner once we start heading heading eh, once we start hitting the second half of the book here. Sure, but, and I think not again. This the, I, I I I keep feeling like I'm sounding negative, but I really don't mean it this way. But like things like that where the characters are not proactive. Um, that can sometimes lead to a little bit of a slog. Is like when 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 the the agency is not being driven of the story is not being driven by the character, you know. Yeah, and I think what makes this like fine in this regard, um, and still in my opinion very entertaining, is that um, while I feel like that's kind of true right now for Officer Alla and Bobby, that is not true at all for Holden and Prax. Yeah, and that's that's one of the way one of the reasons why, um, or yeah, one of the things why a, a multiple uh, point of view book can be helpful is so that sometimes, you know, he, there's there's never like long passages of, uh, I guess, passivity in the in the the point of view characters. Is you can kind of, um, you know, you can kind of spread it around for like, um, for these things to happen. Um, it could also cause issues, and we haven't had any yet that I am aware of, certainly, that uh, where where one character's actions can kind of lead to another character kind of being, I don't know, quite how quite to put it, disempowered, perhaps, you know, where it can kind of like one will like derail the other. And uh, I think that's one of the things that this book has, has avoided is it's kind of like everything feels really good it feels solid it feel, it's like it's like if you've ever built something and you, you, you get the nice base layer and then you, you put the, another couple layers up and everything still feels just as solid as it did at the beginning that's kind of the feeling I'm getting uh, vis-a-vis the plot in this book yeah this yeah and if you want to expand on anything please go ahead but just for uh, for sake of just kind of getting that kind of like bullet point list down for at the very least uh, Officer Ella and Bobby's storyline at this point in the story. Basically, it's they meet up to have their meeting, uh, the joint meeting between the UN and Mars about kind of what to do about this war, and it's very bureaucratic, very just kind of what can we do to help our own careers and not necessarily the people that are suffering from this war. And uh, Bobby doesn't like that. She kind of takes a stand and as, as she puts it, when are we going to talk about the fucking monster? And that pisses Thorson off and he basically pulls the plug on her but Officer Rall is impressed by her grabs her and is like hey I want you to be a part of my team because I'm like you in wanting to figure out who caused this and want to stop them I don't care about this bureaucratic nonsense I just want basically I just want peace uh, so she starts working for her but the cold war that turned into kind of a hot war that's now kind of in a ceasefire once again turns very hot once again because uh Basically, one of the guys on the UN is a warhawk, and despite the fact Admiral Wynn, yeah, uh, despite the fact that Ava, uh, Ava Sarala did everything in her power to completely negate 
uh, his attempt at escalation, uh, he somehow found a way to override her. Um, he was able to, uh -huh. to, to unsabotage Avicerala's sabotaging of his attempt to escalate the war, and that's caused it to go even hotter than it was before, ruining the peace talks. And now Bobby is ostensibly, in the moment, trapped on Earth being a liaison for Avicerala and having to convince herself she's not a traitor to Mars, which, for the record, I don't think she is. I think that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty fair to say. Um, and meanwhile, she's dealing with the kind of politicking and backroom uh, nonsense that's going on here, including uh, having just found out that Soren, who is Avicerala's assistant, is doing things behind her back. And that's really kind of the entire the entire section for them. I feel, unless you want to expand on anything in particular, that's just the kind of broad stroke of it of the whole thing. No, not nothing. Um, nothing really. I just just uh, one very small thought is I I I hope we didn't, I, or I hope we didn't leave listeners with the impression that we were. Uh, anti Avasarala at any in, 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 in any way. I, I this actually this section actually made her um actually in in many ways quite likable um as a figure. And uh I don't know. I, I really I, I really wish there was an Avasarala in the world today, actually. I mean I did say last time that she was my favorite of the new perspective characters. Oh well I, I forgot that. I just wanted to make clear my, my perspective where where I was a little bit nonplussed with some of the the way that they wrote her, but the character itself, uh, at least at first, um, the char but the character is really good, and I quite enjoy her. Yeah, I would say her and Bobby are definitely the strongest new characters introduced in the book so far. I think Prax is, I, I, I would say he's fine, but I really don't, I think the biggest thing that's keeping me like really engaged with his story is the fact that he is with Holden and the crew. And his story is basically being carried with Holden and the crew. So I think that's why, for me, Prax is just fine and not... Because I feel like if he was doing his own kind of thing on his own, I'd probably be a little bored of, of his character and what he's doing. But I think he meshes with the crew well enough to kind of offset any flaws I feel like he has as a perspective character. Mm -hmm. well, that, that's kind of... It's one of those things where, kind of like we were just saying, it's the the the... the the agency versus not thing yet again he's just because he's just kind of uh, not entirely he has his moments uh, that i'm sure that we'll get to but he he is mostly just kind of an observer and uh i don't want to say helpless per se but he is very dependent on on uh, holden and the crew uh, at this point yeah but um yeah I, I do feel like we're might be kind of skimming really badly on on uh, Avicerala and Bobby, but I really just don't have much else to kind of say at this point other than, like, it's just kind of the more political side of, of the war so far. And um, I guess there's, like, a little bit more of an escalation with Venus. And Avicerala, uh, she was taken off of the peace talks um, in order to be able to focus purely on Venus, which she thought was a win, but it turned out actually she was being played against and uh that's that's one of the reasons that allowed the um massive un force to lead an offensive against the martians to kind of mm -hmm. restart the war so she did kind of get played a little bit and it's looking like she's she is 
she's getting played a lot, especially based on what it looks like Soren's been doing, possibly, behind her back. So she yeah, definitely... Yeah, that, that was kind of an interesting kind of twist on the character. And I, I know we're trying to move on, but I'll, I'll so I'll, I'll make this pretty brief. But I just, I thought that Soren was kind of... Um, he seemed like a very bland and sort of like stock um, Senate page type character where he just he just like does all the things and and that that the uh, the 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 character that is involved in in the plot asks of him and he's maybe he gives like a little snarky remark here and there but like generally kind of a a, a nothing character maybe more of a plot device rather than an actual character but it, I, I don't know it, it is interesting to see him kind of like to, to, to raise the questions of his, of his loyalties here yeah so I, I definitely think that um, this section was a way to kind of tell us that Avasarala is not as clever and not as resourceful as she thought she was and how we were presented to her as being and that's kind of causing some issues on her end of the story that are gonna yeah yeah she's gonna have to deal with and try and navigate around but she's got bobby for whatever that's worth i i would say also it's it's maybe not that she's not as clever as we thought it's just that she is dealing with a very uh large uh bureaucracy that that is that has its its own agents within the bureaucracy that have their own agendas and and that she is not so it's not going to be that she's just going to just through pers through sheer force of personality or intellect or whatever just be able to steamroll her way to uh, stopping the war or anything. If there's there are stakeholders within the uh, the UN and probably out without the UN inside outside of it that are trying to push for this to happen, um, and it, it, that's it. Just it it, it creates it, it makes it more interesting, I guess, for it for there to be you know, sort of stakes and, and for it not to just be one a thing where the, she just basically just walks it to the, from to completion, there's going to be some adversity to overcome some backbiting and all that. Yeah. Which, um, something I did really like was it was at the end of one of the chapters, uh, when she's talking to Bobby and she's basically giving her a thought experiment about that's kind of a very thin analogy of the situation. And mm -hmm. she's like, being like hey given these situations and what uh what each side is doing how do you see this eventually playing out and bobby's like it looks like we're basically both playing to win in the short term but lose in the long term so we're it's gonna be you know uh, us working towards losing later and and officer is like all right then let's work towards uh stopping us both from playing to lose is so I'm, I'm paraphrasing it really badly but I, I thought that was a really good interaction and a great moment for both characters. Yeah, it definitely was. I, I it's it's interesting because I think Bobby is is a is pretty well written. Um, she's very. She is both very much kind of like with that archetypical uh, kind of grunt character, so to say. A but head. she also is is very. She's she she's also quite savvy as well. Um, in, in her own way so I don't know I, I, I like I like where, where this is all going it just doesn't necessarily make for great uh, radio so to say to, to recap all the the boardroom meetings yeah yeah like I said a lot of uh, 
lot of politicking, a lot of bureaucratic uh, nonsense going on. And for someone like me, um, I'm, I'm totally fine with things like this being in fiction, as long as it's done well. And I think this is a case of it being done well. So I'm, I'm having a good time with it. I'm like, yeah, sure, cool, whatever. And it being interspersed with uh, Prax and Holden's story being the more kind of exciting one, for lack of a better term, uh, <laughs> is uh, making it a very fun read. Yes. But uh, moving on to Prax and Holden, uh, we left them in a very, uh, very interesting situation last time. They were about to head into the tunnels that they had seen. Um, uh, what was the doctor's name? Uh, Strickland, right? That sounds right, but for some reason I can't remember his name, but I, I think that's what it was. Yeah, him taking May into those tunnels, and we left them with their new crew of Martian mercenaries getting ready to go into the tunnels to find them. And uh, we get a nice little bit of kind of tension building as they're working their way through the tunnels. Holden has this plan to make sure that their exits are covered, that they're, they're not really like splitting up, but they're leaving scouts behind to make sure that they never have to worry about people being surprised, basically. And they're working their way room to room, hallway to hallway, and they eventually find uh, a room where it looks like there was activity in the past, and they find the body of um, a kid that, um, we didn't really go over this, but there was a person that um, Prax went to visit while he was looking for May before he found Holden and the crew, and he was, like, talking to him, and they were, like, really close friends, like, like basically family, and the other dude's son was one of the kids that was missing. I think his name was, like, Katoa is the name of the kid. Um, and But him and his family had basically just assumed him dead and were getting ready to get off of Ganymede because they saw the writing on the wall for the situation. Um, and that kind of led to a, a, a fight between him and him and Prax. Well, we found Katoa, and he's dead. So, yay. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty dark, uh, that section. Yeah, which I'm kind of curious as to what these kids are being used for because um, we've only found we've only, as far as I'm aware we've only seen one kid, uh, just Katoa. Um, I, it's Katoa, right? Or like Kakoa? I, I I don't remember. It's I guess it's not incredibly important, but I'm kind of curious as to what's going on with these kids. But uh, they they realize that the the next room it's it's a little warmer than the one that they're in, which means that there's either people still in there or people have just recently vacated it. Uh, because the planet, not, not the planet, the um, the station is getting colder and colder because the ecosystem is failing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this, this great little moment that just kind of shows why Prax is um, questionable at times. Because Holden has this, this plan for him and uh, him, Amos, and the, the Martians to just kind of tactically get into the room and prepare for any potential threats in there and while Holden's planning it they're just like wait where's the doctor and he's just walking through the room walking through the door right into the room um and they have to follow in after him and there are people in there uh just uh chilling and munching on some uh some nice delicious uh asteroid pizza and we get this 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 great scene where it's like you know things aren't like they are in the movies um, where Holden's trying to defuse the situation and Prax is just overriding him, being like, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? And 
Holden thinks that he's going to be able to get it to be just them talking until Prax just cocks his pistol. And I love how, like, that's, that's like the end of the chapter. Uh, it's, it's a Holden chapter, and he's like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. And he, he's, he's aware that the firefight's now going to start. Uh, and mm-hmm. at the start of the Prax chapter, he's just like, he's sitting there thinking, he's like, this is, you know, in the movies, you, um, you, uh, you, you bring back the hammer to show that you're being serious, that you're not to be messed with, that, you know, I'm, I, I want what I want, and this is what it's going to get people to start talking. What he didn't expect was that to be ostensibly telling the people that he's holding the gun to, I'm about to shoot you, you better start shooting back. And I just, I love that kind of, um, I don't want to say that it's like a, uh, it's uh, bucking a cliche or um, or a trope or anything like that because I, I don't know if that's actually, I don't know if that classifies as a trope. The whole like you know, tell me what I want to know. Cox the pistol. I mean, probably. I, I think it trope. does. I think I think you know, like in it, it happens in movies and stuff like the click the the, the pulling back the hammer the the uh, you know pumping the shotgun. Yeah. You know that kind of stuff. I, I think it's. I think it's. It, we we knew what it was commenting on, and that that's probably something that um, the partnership known as James Corey probably has noticed in books and in, in, in film and TV that's kind of irked them, and I think they're commenting on that. Yeah, gotta love the classic. Oh, nice a shotgun. Let me quickly just eject a live round for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be something like that. Um, but it's what's what is it is fairly a, a fairly tragic moment because it did seem like the the um the guard the the guards that they had uh encountered were willing to surrender more or less because it feel they were I, there was this moment that i remember very clearly and unfortunately i don't have the book with me at the moment where but the uh that it it mentioned that the uh, the the leader of the group of guards that they had uh essentially cornered being you know showing relief that it looked like they were going to be able to get out of this without fighting so it is very it is very unfortunate that this all ended the way it did yeah but it it does kind of show like um it's it's like a it's like a a, a, it it reflects on the characters in the in a number of ways so one we kind of get the moment of holden getting a classic holden moment not to not miller holden as he is kind of uh, kind of put it at this point, and, and others have put it, you know, it, it, it's it's Holden trying to minimize violence and try to talk his way out of something. Um, so it, that is kind of a moment that shows you that he that character um, change is something that's still very in flux. Um, it shows, uh, it, it gives this moment of, of not not too negatively i don't mean this like too negatively on on amos because again he's a very likable character but it does show that maybe he he had there was a lapse in judgment here um in in uh you know maybe bringing bringing uh prax into this mission the way he did and giving him a weapon and also it shows kind of the uh the inexperience and and naivete of of prax yeah um I do think one of the reasons why uh, the group in there were um, willing to possibly just kind of let Holden play his game is because they were aware that they had more. It, they weren't the only, the only, uh, for lack of a better term, we'll just say hostiles um, in in this area. Uh, they and she even said as much that you know oh, we got plenty of more guards in the other room. All I got to do is basically just alert them. Um, 
So I'm pretty sure she thought, okay, if we can, if we, if this guy is not going to be trigger happy, then I ain't too concerned that we'll be able to ostensibly play them until backup comes, and then we'll deal with that there. But yeah, Prax ruined the situation, <laughs> and a shootout ensues. And thankfully, the nameless Martians are the only casualties. Yeah, it is. It is a shame, though. I, I really. In a very strange way, I was really hoping for them to get off the station, or at least most of them, too. Yeah, I think they, well, I think at the end of the day, slight spoilers here, they only lose, like, two of them. There's, like, what, seven? Or six? There's six of them, and I think they only lose, like, two. Which, all things oh, considered... I, I thought it was, like, I thought it was, like, there were six, and they lost, like, three or four. Uh, but I, you're, probab- you're probably right. Two were killed, and one was shot in the stomach, but was saved by something we'll get to. So now we get to to nice action fun scene uh, as they're just moving down the corridors, taking out guys, and uh, we get fun gunfight holding an Amos as they're just kicking ass. A lot of death, uh, but not all of it is caused by them. Uh, Something else, there's a third party fighting here, and uh, they're starting to kind of realize that as they go and go, and eventually they get to the end of the area and they hear on the other side of a door what sounds like a ship taking off. And uh, whether or not May is alive, uh, there's a good chance that she's not going to be on Ganymede anymore because they've missed being able to stop whatever ship is leaving. So now it's up to them to try and get off of Ganymede. Uh, I'm going to quickly throw this in because I forgot about it until just now. But um, as we kind of alluded to briefly in um, the previous part, uh, Avasarala was aware of Holden and the crew being on Ganymede because of Holden's slick beard disguise not being quite as slick as he thought it was. And uh, as soon as she learns that they, they've they gone into the tunnels and started a firefight and things are kind of getting out of hand on Ganymede, uh, she's like, okay, well, they have something to do with the, the protomolecule and Venus being on, on um, Ganymede. So that's something we'll kind of get to. So she's like, they're, you know... Uh, Fred Johnson's making a play, so we need to we need to grab them. We need to we need to apprehend Holden and the crew. So that's something that she kind of did at that point in time, and she sends that order on. And there's like a 40 minute delay between her sending it and the guy that will receive it will receive it. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of something to keep in mind. So they they escape out, um, but in the meantime, as they're co- going back the way they came, Amos finds a sample of the proto molecule in one of the rooms that they they were coming back through. And I, I love this. This is great. So um, Holden clearly has some PTSD from the protomolecule, and it really mm-hmm. shows through here. And I love this sign of weakness from Holden. I love that he's not just this this um, uh, flawless, uh, never-shaken, uh, indomitable action hero that will always lead his crew to victory uh, through, like, you know, grace under pressure, yada, yada, yada. I love this sign of weakness in him. It's just, I think it's a great character moment for him because it shows that he still feels the mental and emotional scars from Eros and seeing all of this possibly getting ready to repeat itself is just, it's, it's, it's triggering him for lack of a better term. And I just, I, I love it. I think that's just a great character moment. Yeah, it, it, uh, it definitely, um, it definitely adds adds a little realism to this, and it gives um, 
I don't. It, I, I think this this idea of uh, of flawed protagonists in the sense of like them dealing with emotional uh, issues and, and traumatic incidents has become more common uh, as you know in, in the last uh, decade or so. But I think this is definitely like in the vanguard of that. So I think it is uh, interesting in that way. Yeah. At least within genre fiction. I mean, obviously, you know, books have been written since the dawn of time about, you know, trauma and how, how that is affected. But you know what I mean? Like, like in terms of like, you know, books aimed at like uh, mass popularity and in terms of like sci-fi stuff, you know, it's, it, it does a good job of uh, introducing these concepts. Yeah, I mean, you see it a lot with things like um, younger main characters in, like, high fantasy. But, um, yeah, I feel like in, in a lot of things, you want your, like, you know, calm and cool super action hero. You, you're, like, you're John Wick's. Mm-hmm. Which is not to say that John Wick is, you know, this, like, ultimate badass with no emotion. I mean, the whole point of the first movie is him over... I, I wouldn't say overreacting... But maybe it is a minor overreaction, the killing spree he goes on because of an animal being killed. Uh, I, I would say it's... I'm going to go on record saying that he was justified and did nothing wrong. But um, when you kind of pull back to a global scale, you know, that's that's a very, very heavy emotional reaction. But I think it's more what the dog meant than the dog itself. That the, We're not talking about John Wick. My point being is that, you know, John Wick is a character that you see as this kind of, like, ultimate badass, can't be stopped, maybe slowed down a little, but we'll get back up and you know kick your teeth in and kill you with a pencil and a book you know so it's just kind of one of those things that it's nice to see these characters have very clear realistic flaws and have to deal with those flaws and have to overcome the uh the situation and try to like kind of move past that trauma in order to do what is best for not only themselves but for the people around them and i I think i think this is a really great section for holden's character development even more because yeah, he's not John Wick. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, anyways, they they make it out, and uh, Holden wants Alex to bring the Rosie to the landing pad where they have the um, Sonambulist, uh, the ship that they came in on, and uh, he's gonna give the Martians the Sonambulist. He's like, here you go, here's your payment, get off the rock, you know, thanks for the help. Uh, but as they make it back to the ship, um, they get ambushed by what we learn is, what we should have figured out by this point is the um, the UN uh, getting ready to take them in. And we have a uh, we have an Amos death fake out that lasts for all of about one page, but all the same. They, they did the, um, they did the, the J.J. Abrams. I was expecting you to say they did the Chewbacca in Rise of Skywalker. That's exactly where. Well, that's I what I'm. That's what I'm alluding to. I'm gonna say that's not quite fair because it's not like it was like, oh, hey, um, he's dead, and then like half an hour later, it's like, oh, you know, by the way, he he's not actually dead. It was, you know, it it was one of those things. Well, to this. Where, this was similar to the the C-3PO quote-unquote death, right? It was like, C-3PO was like, oh, yes, I will sacrifice myself for my friends. And then he, like, learned to speak evil Sith language or whatever. And then 
after he was done, and and they, they it was like supposed that was supposed to like erase his mind or whatever, and then he's like, oh dearie me, that was quite dreadful. Anyway, I'm back to normal. Yeah. You know, it's a good thing R two D two had a backup of my memory on hand. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I I don't think it's really fair personally to um. To use those really terrible Star Wars examples for this, because I I mean you know death fakeouts are. They're not uncommon, and this one I feel it, at least has a, a nice kind of. It it doesn't feel as cheap as like the Chewbacca or R two or, or C three PO ones in Rise of Skywalker, um, because it it it's we're seeing it from Holden's perspective, and as far as Holden concern is concerned, he watches Amos get killed. Because what happens is they're they're trying to gun down the uh, the soldiers trying to um, apprehend them, and Amos gets shot in the leg, and he sees um, Amos uh, a soldier walk up behind Amos, shoot him in the back of the head, and him fall forward into a puddle of blood. Which we learn that it was it's a non lethal round. But I'm sitting here thinking like, man, these non lethal rounds in the future must be like really non-lethal if you can basically point blank someone in the back of the head and all they get is a little welt from it because i feel like if you even if even if you had a beanbag gun if you walked up right behind somebody put the gun against their head and pull the trigger you're still killing them well didn't that happen to like a guy on the set of the crow or something like that like they like they he it wasn't even like a like a non-lethal or so quote unquote non-lethal uh round but it was but it was like just a blank, like like up against his head. If and you know, as so it just, I don't know <laughs> that that part did not necessarily ring true to me. I guess so, if, it, but mostly because it is a, a a firearm. You know, if it was like some sort of stun weapon, it would be like oh, okay. But you know, not that that's a very the my my gripes with the whole Amos death fake out are relatively minor within this this. Uh, Within the scale of the entire book. Yeah, you're thinking of Brandon Lee, by the way. Oh yes, yes. That I I, I thought I I couldn't re- quite remember his name at the moment, so I was I was kind of dancing around it. But thank you for reminding. That that is who I'm talking about. Yeah, but like the 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 blood was him falling on his nose and breaking his nose. So that's what that's what that was. But um, I I you know. <laughs> I don't know if this next scene is a comment towards the the sheer competence and just pure badassery that is Holden and the crew, or it's a comment on the pure ineptitude of the UN because they get captured, their you know their their wrists and ankles are tied, and they're being held, and they're the UN people are like, all right, you know we got them, <laughs> mission accomplished, uh, but. Because of the 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 formerly cold now hot kind of cooling off war now getting very hot once again, um, the the entire station is being bombarded completely uh, from orbit, and so it's it's the whole place is getting destroyed, and so the UN guys are just like, well, we can't transport them without having them transport themselves, so cut their ankle ties, um, and. As soon as their ankles are cut, Holden and Amos just completely wreck everybody. Just take them all out, get their weapons, get their armor back, and they're like, alright, they tie them up, and they're like, 
later dudes and they just leave <laughs> they they give the uh, uh hold and make sure that the uh the martian people uh wendell i think is the name of the guy leading that martian company make sure that he still has the keys to the to the ship and he's like all right man thanks for the help see you later and he's like yep um i hope to never have to deal with you again and holden's like fair enough see you later <laughs> I, I love it like such a great little scene that just I, I don't know it was just it was really funny to me yeah uh, so now they need to make their way back to the Rosie, and it turns out that um, the way to the the, the original plan's not going to work, so they got to figure out another place. And uh, Prax is like, "Well, hey, how about the um, the landing pad that we heard the ship go off of when we were going through the tunnels?" And they're like, "That's the best idea we have." And they have to kind of navigate through it. They have to do a little bit of a spacewalk to finally make it to the Rosinante, um, and but they make it back. That's you know. Um, I don't know, do you think that the, um, uh, the Martians, uh, made it off? I thought it was implied that they did not. Yeah, um... Like, I, I thought it was implied that their, the ship got blown up at some point during the, the fray. Well, what happened, well, cause, well, like, so, Naomi says that, um... Uh, she can't get in contact with Alex anymore because she was routing her comms through the Sonambulist. Uh, which means that they either took off and left, or they got blown up. It's just kind of one or the other, and we don't really know. And they're, they're just like, you know, eh, it's, it's possible that they probably died, but it, I don't know. It, I could kind of really see it going either way. I mean, I hope they lived, but I, I, I kind of shared the same, the same sort of pessimistic, um evaluation of the scenario that it's i think they probably died but it would be it would be it would make for a, a nice especially when they kind of lampshaded it with the whole well i hope i never see you again kind of situation like it, they kind of they kind of that might have been seen as like um uh what is it foreshadowing of sorts yeah um but but uh i don't know i i guess i don't share the um the or I, I do share the the negative um, assumption on what happened to them. Yeah, it kind of you, you mentioning it like this. It kind of reminds me of um, in uh, in Baby Driver after the first heist um, when uh, John Bernthal's character is like, "If you don't see me again, it means I'm dead," and you don't see him again for the rest of the movie. Oh yeah. But anyways, so they make it in to the Rosie. There's a nice, fun little action escape to get them out of the uh out of um ganymede uh they have to dodge some missiles some some fun flying and you know just another fun action chase scene but um it's not over yet as they're heading back to Tycho, and um holden thinks he's convinced he's 100 percent cannot be swayed that fred did this the only he's supposed to have the only sample of the protomolecule yet it's on Ganymede. This is Fred's doing. Do you, do, you, do you think this is Fred's doing? I was going to ask, actually, um, because I, uh, I don't really understand why he thinks it is Fred's doing. Like, th that seemed to come out of left field for me. Because he's convinced that the only sample in existence is with Fred because of Leviathan Wakes. Yeah, I, 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 and I kind of remember that, but I'm just like, 
maybe this is my own bias because I I, I ended the the I remember ending that book and coming away with liking Fred maybe more than any other character. Um, so I, maybe I am not I am biased, but I was like, oh yeah, no, there's no way he could do that. There's he's he was like he was like the if 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 we are to take the conceit that Holden in the first book was moral. Uh, he he was like the only other moral character. Yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty ignorant personally to think that you had the soul sample. Like, uh, I mean, it, it very well could be Fred. It, Fred could be doing this, and it could be a, a nice little heel turn coming in. But like, I, I just just to give Fred a little bit of the benefit of the doubt right now, I think that Holden thinking that he had the only sample, period and that they for sure got rid of every other one is just really naive to say the least this is well, this is this is old holden popping up again i have a couple of thoughts here um one i i, I completely agree with what you're saying but two there are definitely several situations where there was like there was theoretical leftover proto molecule like like uh julie Mao's um apartment, apartment. Remember that that as far that was never like they never resolved whether that was like cleaned or you know what what happened with all that. So I could very easily see um, it is very conceivable that somebody on the on that uh, that police department that was at, on the scene that that they could have like uh, spirited away a sample to some sort of nefarious actor. Um, yeah, because there there was enough time between them finding her body and the Arrow Station meltdown happening that something could have happened. Yeah, and at the the lab during the lab mission, like, you know, obviously they could have had like they had some of it there because they were like testing it and all that. But like, is that really like the only place they were testing? Or uh, it would be surprising if they didn't like have other like samples of it somewhere else or at least it would be surprising to me um so to me it just seems a little bit either naive or self-aggrandizing um i'm choosing to believe naive but like it's the the sort of like self-aggrandizing guilt to be like oh it's my fault i didn't destroy all the sample and i gave it to him so uh you know it's just like a proxy of his own sort of guilt and his own culpability um, kind of situation there but I and we did I also do recall that we mentioned that there the potential of like a, a, a Fred heel turn in future installments but I, I just don't think that I just don't I don't know I just don't see it I think it's going to lead to a, a, a major um, moment where, where uh, Holden kind of falls on his face and experiences some sort of embarrassment um, but I, I don't, I don't, I would be, I would be very surprised and honestly a little disappointed if, if, if it is in fact Fred that, that was behind this. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I, I'm, I'm willing to give Fred the benefit of the, of the doubt right now, personally, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But now, like, I guess the, the kind of last little section here. Uh, so as they're, like, heading out, getting ready to go, 
uh, they realize that the the air pressure in the cargo hold it's they they realize before that it's been bad, but um, they realize why they find out why, um, and it's that uh, uh, there's something inside the cargo hold it, and so, it looks like uh, a creature affected by the proto molecule has indeed been has infiltrated the ship, and now they have to deal deal with it. Um, this was very much shades of the end of Alien. Yeah. Uh, so now Amos and Holden have to go and deal with that. And, um... Man, uh, is this what you are kind of talking about with your little bit of Alex? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, this is... This is really the only time where Alex has had, uh, prolonged, um anything really to do with the plot but especially uh dialogue to this point in the book yeah yeah holden holden tells uh alex that hey if the worst comes to worst you gotta blow the ship up sorry them's the brakes <laughs> uh <laughs> and here he, he kind of has to fight with alex a little bit but it you know he, he's like all right yeah okay okay um well it's one of those things where alex he's just and this is true of like people that, that that are like the you know pilots and stuff they the the ship they become to identify it almost as like a part of them as like a friend almost so it's it creates this awkward tension where alex is like well maybe we should blow it up but he doesn't he's not quite willing to get there mentally you know it's 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 he it's it's just that i don't want to quite say love of it but it's it, it is a, a kind of love you know for the for the ship yeah which um it might be worth mentioning here as well uh kind of glazed past this but a uh, little bit of uh, relationship strife going on between uh holden and naomi because she is uh she's not fond of the man that he's turning into which is unfortunate because he finally he was finally taking steps to like come go back to the original holden and is also going back to the original holden in the bad way um but um, yeah, there, there is. There, she does kind of serve him an ultimatum here, um, after a sequence uh, where they where they are. It's basically like you need to go back to the the way you were, or the the relationship is not. It doesn't have a future. Yeah. Um. Anyways, Holden and Amos go down, and they 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 base, they they have a fight with this creature. And it, it goes very poorly for them, and Holden gets pinned, uh, got a busted-up knee, hopefully. Sorry, I, 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 I apologize for interrupting, but there is one another moment that I, I kind of wanted to highlight. Um, that uh, before Holden and Amos are going into the, into the, the area where the creature is, that's been kind of uh, uh, infiltrated by the creature, but also that it's... it's there's like a rupture that they're having to get go into and they're 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 suiting up for it and they're getting ready to go into this this depressurized area and uh they're, they have this little conversation and um holden is obviously he's he's having a hard time dealing with um the uh i mean obviously it's a very difficult situation to be the leader in a scenario where people could die and uh, you know he's he's telling Amos he's like promise me that you're going to survive this, and um, 
it's and then it's it's uh, Amos has this great quote of like captain if if I die it's because everybody else is already dead yeah um and it was like I was like oh that's 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 kind of a that's kind of a banger line yeah I was I was built to be the last man standing or whatever yeah yeah that was a really cool line Amos has got some I real, forget- uh, real memorable lines in this one yeah I, it was it, it was such a bar. I, I was willing to forgive the the death fake out after that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a fun one for sure. Um, and it was a nice it was a nice way to build their relationship and build uh, Amos. I just I, I I I know we said this last time, but I just I, I need to reiterate. I really like how they're building Amos as a character. Like at the last last book, he wasn't bad by any means, but he was kind of like a guy in the background that's like whatever you say boss now he's kind of like rounding into a an, into a distinct and you know appreciable character and i i don't know, i like him yeah uh so they're fighting this monster and it, it really kind of gets the better of them but it's the interesting thing is it's not really like going for the kill it's just kind of like keeping them back it's that's at least what it seems like and yeah, Holden gets pinned. He's injured. His leg is uh, his knees messed up under the. Uh, he's like pinned between a container and the cargo bay. And uh, they're trying to figure out like what best to do. And Prax figures out that the thing is, it's trying to radiate itself, and it's trying to kind of like dig through the hole to get to the, the 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 radiator, the the the, the reactor of the uh, of the ship, so it can you know suck up that good old nutritious radiation. And they come up with a plan to essentially bait it with a bigger source of radiation to get it off the ship, and that's how they're going to hopefully deal with it. And so Prax has to do a little bit of a minor, a minor spacewalk, and just kind of chuck this, this uh, tinfoil wrapped radiation bait out into space and hope that the um, the monster takes it. And it ends up it, it does t- it does take the bait, and it just leaps out, and he's like neat. And uh, they get kind of, they all get to a safe thing. Amos is able to get uh, Holden free. But they kind of, uh, they notice that uh, it's left behind an incendiary grenade as it jumped out. And I'm just thinking like, like what? (laughs) Yeah, that I I was trying to, I had to read a couple times trying to like, am I missing something? Yeah, the creature's just like, hey, you know what? Hey, I I know what you're doing, but I'm gonna play play with it anyways. Um, here here's a grenade to go. <laughs> Which is a very strange thing, and kind of leads to something that I want to get to really quickly. Um, it's this is my this is I'm I'm going to do a little bit of a theory crafting here. Um, okay, so. They, they do mention when they were talking about this creature that it is not as different or as mutated as previous uh, victims of the proto-molecule have been. Um, and that they, 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 I think it Prax, when he's doing his research about this and getting the, uh, the radiation bait thing together, like he, he comes to the conclusion that the, this iteration of the proto-molecule has been tampered with in some way um i think i think that's and because like the the uh the formation of the human is a little is more recognizably human rather than more monstrous 
Yeah, which is something that we uh, saw with the the monster at the start as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I guess with the when they brought that back up and the with the uh, the the unfortunate um, the the dead child and and all of that. I think that's kind of what what's going on, and I think. I, I I fear that the end. I I don't think this is going to happen, but there is a chance that they find May, and May is going to have been mutated into this creature, but using this sort of uh, modified version of the proto molecule. But I think that the monsters that we're going to be seeing, with the exception of the one that we saw at the beginning of the book, is going are going to be like the the captured children from the the beginning that have been mutated. Yeah. But, and, and so we end uh, this section with um, the crew taking off to try and like burn up the uh, uh, the protomolecule creature with their afterburners and uh, I'm assuming the grenade detonating and Prax is knocked unconscious and that's where we leave the crew and where we end this section this week yeah it was you know I, I, I... It was it wasn't uh, wasn't bad certainly, but I, I definitely prefer the first bit. But I, I really am very interested to see where this goes, and I, I think that saving the proto molecule for later in um, Leviathan Wakes was certainly the right call. But I think it's interesting to see how it's going to play in this book now that it is you know, present from the beginning and see see how that, that kind of sort of uh, affects the sort of the contours of the story and of the of the way that it's being told. Yeah. Um yeah, so I do agree that at least uh it, it's a bit of a down ha- a down quarter because, you know, like we said at the beginning, you know, you gotta have that, that hook and then you gotta kinda decompress and then we're gonna start ramping up to the next bit here. Um, but I really like what's building with uh, Officer Ola and Bobby on that end. And I like the mysteries that we're kind of seeing get played in real time with Holden and Prax. So I'm really excited for this this um, next quarter of the book. Yep, definitely. Um, yeah, anything else you want to talk about before we uh, we wrap up here? No, the, the little theory thing was the... the the really the only thing that i had other than what we already discussed yeah but yeah i think that about wraps us for this um daniel we did it man we, we made a real short episode here we were we were nice and tight and precise and we didn't we didn't meander too much finally an episode under an hour yep but yep thank you everybody for listening uh my name's dusty and i'm daniel and we'll see you guys next time Take care.